The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Security and Financial Services is affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money, where we talk about everything financial. Today's program is all about Social Security. The more you know about America's most important retirement program, the better chance you are, you have, that is, of getting the most out of it. What are your top concerns and questions about Social Security? My frequent guest, Mr. Kurt Zarnowski of Zarnowski Consultant, is here to help us understand why Social Security is, for millions of Americans, a vital financial life. So many of us don't really know and understand Social Security, and we all know, this is the thought, what you don't know about Social Security can really cost you a lot of money. So we're going to find out some of the questions that you have about Social Security, and Kurt's going to help us answer them. Also coming up in the second half of today's program, Terry Hurt is here to discuss your personal pension plan. Well, what is your personal pension plan? It's all about the ins and outs of your IRA plan. She's going to share with us how your IRA, your individual retirement account, can play a key role in your retirement investing strategy. Well, that's today's program, but here's some of the facts that we always like to share with you from our Did You Know file. So here's one from Gallup that tells us only 37% of American adults today under the age of 35 are invested in the stock market. Now, that's down. That's down. That's kind of a concern by uh, from 55% in 2002. Also, the National Association of Realtors tells us we have a huge shortage of homes in America today. Currently, we have only 3.2 months of inventory of existing homes for sale. Now, that's as of December the 20th of 2017. Now, you got to understand this. This is important. This is the lowest total inventory ever recorded. That's kind of a big statistic for us. It represents how long the inventory of existing homes for sale would last if the current sales rate, at the current sales rate, continued with no inventory added to the market. Now, I want you to think about that. If you're thinking about selling your house, this summer might be the best time to do that. For you NFL fans, I thought this was interesting. Atlanta Falcon quarterback Matt Ryan signed a contract, you ready for this, in May, just a couple of weeks ago, for $150 million. Greg, did you hear that? $150 million to be paid to him over five years. It's a record NFL salary. That's $30 million annually. Now, not all of it's guaranteed. $100 million of it's guaranteed of the $150, so that's pretty good. But here's a statistic for you. 529 attempts last year. That's a 64.7% completion rate for 4,095 yards and 20 touchdowns. So I figured it out. What's a touchdown worth to him? $1.5 million. Man, the guy should have played more football. No doubt about it. Coming up, Kurt Zarnowski, Social Security. Everything you ever wanted to know about 
Social Security, and you were afraid to ask about it. We're going to find out. Terry Hurt in the second half of the program. Personal pension plans, the ins and outs of your individual retirement account. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Terry Hurd are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. My frequent guest and friend, Kurt Zarnowski, president and founder of Zarnowski Consultants, here to answer your questions about Social Security. Mr. Zarnowski, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, good morning, Jim. Terry, good to be back with you. Well, thank you, Guy. We appreciate Terry being with us today, too. And she may ask a couple of questions. She's got a couple sure. of ideas, and we'll go through that process. But the first question, Kurt, so many people really struggle with this. When should they start receiving retirement benefits? And that is always a question that so many people struggle making the decision, and then sometimes they make it and regret it. So give us this, you know, the thought process that you would want people to understand about when should they start their receiving, receiving their retirement benefit. Sure. And as I always say, the decision about when to start to collect, it's entirely up to the individual. Um, I don't try and tell people what they should do. I hope people make an informed decision, understand their choices and options, and then what people want to do, that's fine with me. So, But I always say you need to start by knowing what Social Security calls your full retirement age. Now, when the program started back in 1935, full retirement age was set as the month you turned age 65 for everyone without exception. But 1983, Congress changed the law, increased full retirement age for anyone born 1938 or later. Increase has been phased in over time. We're at the point, Jim, for a bunch of us baby boomers, any of us born between 1943 and 1954, our Social Security full retirement age is the month we turn age 66. But listeners need to know it increases beyond that and tops out anyone born 1960 or later as a Social Security full retirement age is the month they turn age 67. Now, collecting at full retirement age isn't somebody's only option, but you need to make sure you know what yours is. Because under the rules of the program, you start to take your money that month, the month you hit full retirement age, means one thing and one thing only. It means you get 100% of the amount your work and earnings entitle you to receive. But among the options you have are to start collecting prior to full retirement age, if that makes sense for you. And under the rules, you can start to collect as early as age 62 if you choose to do so, or at any point between 62 and full retirement age, if that makes sense. But here's the thing. I'd like to remind folks, Social Security is a social insurance program. Congress has built certain social goals into it, and one is a hope that everyone ends up with roughly the same amount of lifetime benefits, regardless of when they start. So if you opt to start prior to full retirement age, that means by starting sooner, in theory anyway, you'll be collecting for a longer period of time, so you find your monthly payment amount gets reduced. For each month prior to your full retirement age, you opt to collect, you'll find that your benefit amount has been reduced by roughly half a percent. Half a percent per month, eh, 6% per year reduction by starting early. And people need to understand it's a permanent reduction. 
A lot of people mistakenly think, yeah, I'll start early, I'll get less. But as soon as I hit full retirement age, my payment will zoom back up. No, permanent reduction. Again, the idea being starting earlier means you'll likely be collecting for a longer period of time, so you're given less than an individual monthly basis. And it's important to note, you don't have to start right on your birthday. You don't have to start the first of the calendar year. But you opt to start collecting prior to full retirement age, you're going to get less than you'd receive if you waited until your full retirement age. As I mentioned, full retirement age, you get 100%. But among the options you have are to wait past full retirement age, again, if that makes sense for the person to do so. And with that social insurance idea in place, if you've opted to defer for a little bit, well, by starting later, based on average life expectancy, you'd probably be collecting for a shorter period of time. So you expect your monthly payment amount to be increased if you wait. And it is. These are called delayed retirement credits, Jim. And for each month past full retirement age that somebody opts to collect, their benefit amount is permanently increased now by two-thirds of a percent. A two-thirds percent per month increase, that translates into an 8% per year increase by waiting. But again, you don't have to not collect for a full year. For each month you defer, your benefit is permanently increased. But the key thing for listeners, these delayed retirement credits, Stop accruing at age 70. From full retirement age until age 70, for each month you defer, you find your payment has been increased permanently by that two-thirds percent. So in terms of visualizing it, kind of this continuum, you can start as early as 62. Doesn't make any sense to wait past age 70 because there are no additional increases beyond that point by waiting. So it's a question of which point along that continuum makes the most sense for the individual, recognizing Start prior to your full retirement age. You get a lower amount for the rest of your life. You wait past full retirement age before starting. You get a higher amount for the rest of your life. You know, though, Kurt, I guess so many questions, as you and you very articulated that extremely well for people to understand. And they're making the decisions. They're thinking about when do I retire? When do I need the money? And sometimes it's the need that really kicks in. But the spouse is sometimes left out of that decision. So let's make sure that we kind of guide us through this. You talk about spouses, divorced spouses, and widows or widowers. So help us understand, when can the spouse collect or not collect? The divorced spouse can collect. So guide us through that. If you just tuned in, my guest is Kurt Zarnowski. He's the president and founder of Zarnowski Consultants, a frequent guest of ours. He's the expert when it comes to Social Security and how that works in our retirement strategy. And, Kurt, you always do a good job, but help us with spouses, divorced spouses, and widows. Sure. And the the spousal program under Social Security, as I always say when I'm on the show, set up by Congress to support the model of the uh, model of the American family, the 1950s and the 1960s, which was, you know, typically the husband worked and the wife was a stay at home mom. Now, the program's absolutely, totally, completely gender neutral, works equally well either way. But for ease of discussion, Jim, we'll talk about the husband being the primary breadwinner, the wife. Uh, the lower earner. But again, it works equally well either way. And what the law says, the husband, he'll get a benefit based on whatever his work was as his spouse. His wife at her full retirement age, here's another point where it's important to know what your full retirement age is, is going to be eligible to collect a benefit amount equal to 50% of the husband's full retirement age amount. But for her to collect, husband needs to be collecting. That spousal payment won't be made unless and until the husband's collecting. 
Wife needs to be age 62 or older to receive that spousal payment. If the wife is at full retirement age, that's when she gets the full 50%. She's younger than that. Payment amount's reduced. With a full retirement age of 66, she starts right at 62. She gets 35% of the full retirement age amount. And key to mention, it's based on 50% of the full retirement age amount, not necessarily 50% of what the husband's collecting. So the husband defers, waits till 70 to collect, so he's getting more than his full retirement age amount. At full retirement age, the wife is still only going to get 50% of the husband's full retirement age amount. So, but that's the 50s and 60s when the wife would stay at home. How does it work if the wife has worked, paid into the system, earned a benefit on her own? Well, the basic principle is the same, except Social Security will pay that 50% or the individual's own, one or the other, whichever one is higher, not both at once. So spousal benefits, 50% of the higher earner's full retirement age amount or the individual's own, but it's one or the other, not both amounts at once. But the important point in thinking about when to collect really is with survivor benefits, widows and widowers, because here the basic rate is not 50% of the full retirement age amount. It's 100% of what the deceased worker was collecting at the time he passed away. The important point is it's 100% or the individual's own still. You never collect both amounts at once. So it's important to recognize that while the husband and wife are both alive, they're getting two Social Security payments each, each month. Husband, say, passes away, the wife may step up to a higher amount, but her old payment actually goes away, just something people need to pay, uh, plan for. But the other point is, if the husband defers, say, waits from 66 to 70, so the time he passes away, getting a payment amount 32% higher than his full retirement age amount, that increase is passed on in terms of the survivor benefit that's paid to the wife. So it's important for folks to recognize by opting to wait, not only is your own payment higher once you start to collect it, but it also means any survivor payment that could be made upon your passing is going to be higher as well. Just something for people to keep in mind. And then quickly on divorce spousal benefits, it's basically the same rules as with spousal payments, but the marriage needs to have lasted 10 years prior to the divorce for the divorce spouse to collect cannot be married. The ex can have remarried, but for the divorce spouse to collect cannot be married. Has to be at least age 62, and it's basically 50%. While the ex is alive, 100% if the ex has passed away. Kurt, when you talk about this and you're, you're doing this planning process, and as we're going through this with clients, do you, do you find that sometimes people get so confused they make sometimes a decision and do they have a chance? Can they come back and, and say, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't do that right. I think maybe I should have, should have done it this way. Do they have a chance to redo? Absolutely. Now, years and years ago, you had the opportunity to do over a decision, no matter how far back in the past it had occurred. Now, the technical term for a do-over is really withdrawing the application. So the person makes a decision, starts to collect, changes his or her mind, wants to undo it, so they go back to Social Security, and the process they go through is withdrawing the application they had previously filed. Now, for Social Security to grant that withdrawal request, the person simply needed to repay any benefits that had been received. Now, the key thing was Social Security never charges interest 
So you simply repay the principal. And once the check clears, it's like that old application never occurred. You're free to reapply at a later date. But at the end of 2010, and as I said initially, you could in the past go far back as you'd like to undo what you've done. But at the end of 2010, the rules were tightened up. So these days, you file an application for benefits. You start to collect. You think, uh-oh, I made a mistake. I want to undo what I've done. Well, you need to do that within 12 months of starting to collect benefits. Basically, you now have a year in which you can change your mind, withdraw your application, repay any benefits that you'd received, and again, no interest charged, and be free to reapply at whatever point down the road makes the most sense for you. You have to do it within one year, and you can do it once in a lifetime. So you get this one-year window in which you can change your mind. And that's so important for so people people to understand that you have a year to, to develop this strategy, but you have to repay it. You have to repay what you've collected for the year. That's critical for everybody to understand. Well, here's the question. A lot of people think about retiring. They work longer than maybe they had planned to work. So they started, they started getting their Social Security. How does working impact their ability to collect benefits, or does it, what does it do for his amount of money that they're receiving? Help us with working and, and Social Security. Sure, and this is another area where it's really important to know what your full retirement age is for Social Security purposes. Because if you're collecting Social Security payments prior to reaching full retirement age, but you want to work, you need to understand that you're limited and how much you can earn before it begins to impact your ability to collect. 2018, for example, you're under full retirement age. You're allowed to make up to $17,040 without any loss of benefits whatsoever. 17040 or less, you'll get paid full benefits all 12 months of the year. You make above that, doesn't mean you can't necessarily collect, but Social Security starts to hold back $1 in benefit payments for each $2 that you're over the threshold. What counts towards that? Two things. Wages or net income from self-employment. In other words, earned income only. That wide world of unearned income somebody might be receiving, a VA benefit, General Motors pension, 401k distributions, none of that counts towards that 17040 threshold, but earned income only. But the good news is from the month you hit full retirement age on, now you can work and earn as much as you'd like and collect full Social Security benefits at the same time, full retirement age on. And it's important to remind folks, though, this earnings limitation applies no matter what type of payment you're collecting, whether you're collecting your own retirement benefit, a spousal benefit, a divorce spousal benefit, or even a widow or widower benefit, and you're under your full retirement age, that earnings limitation applies. But from the month you reach your full retirement age on, you can work and earn as much as you want, no loss of benefits whatsoever. Now, people wonder, hey, uh, if I'm retired, I don't have to pay Social Security tax, do I? Wrong. If you're in a job covered by Social Security, you'll pay that Social Security tax. But the good news for you is there's a possibility that those additional earnings will increase your benefit. Your payment's always based on an average of your highest 35 years of work under the system. Not necessarily your first 35, not necessarily your last 35, not even necessarily 35 consecutive years. So if you're working, 
paying into Social Security and the earnings that you have are higher than the lowest of the 35 inflation-adjusted years that Social Security had been using in calculating your benefit. Well, the good news for you is you file your tax return at the end of the year, Social Security does a match, and they will automatically recompute your benefit. Drop out that low year, plug in that new year, results in a benefit increase for you going forward. And this ability to increase your payment through additional work, it continues forever, Jim. Those delayed retirement credits, yeah, they stop at 70. No bump past age 70 by not collecting. But no matter how old you are, if you're working, paying into the system, there's always the possibility that those additional earnings will increase your payment. The other bit of good news, frankly, is work never hurts. Hmm. So you've been a high-priced executive, but in retirement, take a part-time job at the local golf course driving the beer cart around, make a couple thousand bucks. Well, that couple thousand dollars is probably going to be lower than the lowest of your 35 years that have been used to calculate your benefits. So what happens to your payment? Nothing. Nothing. It's always based on your high 35. So good things come to those who work as well, I think. That's a great point. Does Social Security benefits, are they subject to federal income tax? That's a question we get a lot. I like to say to folks, you should hope so. And why do I say that? Well, basically what the IRS code says is it put in place thresholds. If you're a single tax filer, and you have what's called modified adjusted gross income under $25,000, then no part of your Social Security benefits subject to federal income tax. A couple filing jointly under $32,000, no part of your federal, uh, Social Security benefits subject to federal income tax. But you have income in retirement above those two thresholds. You could pay federal income tax on up to 85% of the payments that you had received in the prior year. 15% always federal tax-free, but up to 85% could be considered or will be treated as ordinary income taxed at whatever marginal tax rate you happen to be at. And why do I say you should hope to pay taxes? Well, I want people to have more than $25,000 in income in retirement as a single person, more than 32 in retirement as a couple. That's an excellent thought. Well, if you just tuned in, my guest is Kurt Zornowski of Zornowski Consultant. He is the founder and uh, president of Zornowski Consulting, and he is our expert when it comes to Social Security and how to work through the process and answers our question. You know, Kurt, we always run out of time way too quick. Next time we come together, though, I want you to talk about strategies that maximize one's Social Security. We seem to to have time to get to that point, so I want to make that a priority so that we stay focused focused on really, because people really do need to know, what are some of those strategies that I know you know and you teach us so well on maximizing one's Social Security benefits? Will you do that for me next time? Be happy to, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening, of course, to w- KWAM 990. I'm Jim Shoemaker. It's Kurt Zornowski, president and founder of Zornowski Consulting. Always a great guest. Thank you so much, sir. We'll be back in just a minute. We have a special guest, Terry Hurt. She's going to talk about the ins and outs of your personal retirement plan, the individual retirement account. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell security. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
And welcome back. You can like us on Facebook and tune in to Talk Money on Facebook Live or find us on iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. My guest, Terry Hurt, certified financial planner. She's going to be talking about your personal pension. It's the ins and outs of your retirement, your individual retirement account. Welcome to the program, Terry. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, you know, Kurt does a great job. We were talking about that during the break of really leading us through kind of one of those things that we always talk about being, you know, America's most important retirement program. And of course, we find out that so many times people don't fully understand all the questions or the concerns or the ins and outs of Social Security. But you know what? We also find out that a lot of people don't really understand their individual retirement account. They they think they do. They move through that process, and all of a sudden, they've got to make some decisions, and they didn't think through it, and they made some of the wrong decisions. So the individual retirement account can play a key role to anybody's retirement investment strategy. We know that. We see that. We talk about that. So talk with me about some of the primary, I guess, the two types that we see a lot that people should know about. Well, you know, with regard to the 401k plans being offered with employers, they ought to take advantage of maxing the amount of their contribution beyond what the employer matches. And a lot of times we meet with clients and they only contribute up to the amount that the employer will match. Okay. And there's, so they're leaving money on the table, basically, tax-free money that can grow towards retirement. So they should maximize their 401k. That's number one. So what about the individual retirement account, the IRA? Well, the individual retirement account is another vehicle that uh, taxpayers can take advantage of and contribute to beyond the 401k. And depending on the income levels, they may be tax deductible or not. But regardless, it's still a way to accumulate tax-free money in retirement. So you're talking about a potential tax deduction if right. you meet certain tests. And so, all right, let's 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 go through this. When you put money into a taxable account right. and you're going through that, that, that non that you deducted it, what are some of the advantages of using a deductible IRA? Some of the advantages of using a deductible IRA are that the money gets to grow tax-free. So while uh, before retirement, the money is just continuing to grow tax-free, there's no tax drag on it. So the returns on that account are going to be much higher than a taxable investment account. Okay. So when you say the word tax-free, tax-free for that moment. For that moment. Uh, eventually, their taxes are going to have to be paid. Right. We're just deferring the taxes within an IRA or a 401k account until retirement age. And the required mandatory distribution age in an IRA or 401k is 70 and a half. And you have no option on that. The IRS is going to get their money at 70 and a half. Now, we talk about this Roth IRA, and uh, that's kind of the other option when we think about doing something, individual retirement account, the strategies of working through that process. You talk about the traditional deductible IRA. Tell me about the Roth, because that, that's a question that we get a lot of times. Can I can I have both, or should I do one over the other? Roth, RIA, IRA. So with regard to a Roth IRA, that's really a tax-efficient vehicle, which is different than a tax-deferred vehicle. So what that means is your after-tax dollars would be contributed to a Roth IRA. That account would grow tax-free, and when you take the money out in retirement— after age 59 and a half, which is the earliest, the money comes to you tax-free. Okay, so you contribute it, no deduction. 
Correct. All right. So the difference between the individual retirement account, the IRA, that we, the traditional, is you can deduct what you're putting into that plan. It grows tax deferred, but you're going to eventually have to pay the taxes. Correct. Do you not? It's not tax free. On the Roth, you're contributing. You're not getting a deduction. But what it's doing, it's growing for you on a tax-free basis. Correct. And when you pull it out, it's tax-free. Right. Uh, the other advantage is that the IRS doesn't get to dictate when you start to distribute money from a Roth IRA, whereas in a traditional IRA or 401k plan, the mandatory distribution requirement is age 70 and a half. So I could actually delay payments of the Roth IRA. Well, that's that's critical for us to understand. So I think, so there's no current tax deduction for a Roth. However, when you think through it, the investment earnings compound, that's a biggie, compound interest, tax-free. So people need to look at both of those because planning here is really about the strategy around what your tax is going to be when you retire. Correct. So how do you work through that? How do you guide people through that? Well, it depends, you know, what your income tax bracket is currently relative to what you think it might be in retirement. Um, Your age currently, you know, younger people typically are going to be at their lowest tax bracket when they get out of school and they're just building their career. So it really makes perfect sense to contribute to a Roth because they're paying lower taxes on that money than they would be at the end of their journey. Can they switch? I mean, do, do they do they have to, if they choose to start with a Roth, they got to stay with a Roth forever? Or No. In fact, when their tax bracket begins to flip and they start to approach the higher tax brackets, it might make more sense to contribute to a 401k and shift that from a Roth to a 401k. Okay. Or, or the traditional. Or the traditional, Traditional, correct. if you don't have the ability to correct. do a 401k. So, so keeping in mind, so what we talked about earlier in the beginning of the program, in my monologue, 37% of those 30 35 and under today are contributing versus in 2002 to the stock market, to the stock market. So that doesn't mean maybe they are doing a Roth and it's in bonds. I can't right, right, imagine. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can't imagine. imagine. But, they need a new CFP. Right. But a person that was, in, you know, we go back to 2002, 55% of the people 35 and under. So what we would be telling them is to think through that early age when they're in a lower tax bracket, 35 and under, Maybe they should be contributing to something if they're going to plan for retirement. Do you find in your practice that 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 age group is not thinking about retirement? You know, that age group's pretty savvy. They have the world in the palm of their hand, and they have no trouble navigating through technology to find some of the answers to the questions. The problem is that a lot of the answers to the questions are very general in nature and don't really apply to their specific situation. So to all you young people out there that might be listening to the show today, I mean, you're smart. You understand the concepts, but really you need to meet with somebody to discuss your specific situation because stuff you're pulling off Google is very general. Everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different. If you just tuned in, my guest, Terry Hurt, we're talking about your personal pension plan, the ins and outs of your individual retirement account. We're going to go through some other ideas. We're going to look at the factors that you consider whether to do a deductible or a Roth and what's more appropriate for you. That's a question we get so many times. So we're going to dive into the weeds for that and help you go through that process, which is more important or which is the best for you? Is it a reductible IRA, the traditional plan, or should you look at the 
Roth. Maybe it's with your 401k, but you should maybe take a look. This is Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money, and thank you for being a part of it. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back. This is Jim Shoemaker and Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The last decade of the 19th century saw a wave of incorporations of towns within Shelby County, such as Madison Heights, Binghampton, and Idlewild. Memphis City officials saw this as a major public health issue, the horrific yellow fever epidemic in 1878 still being fresh on their minds. To prevent the recurrence of an epidemic, the city worked hard to improve garbage collection, install modern restrooms, replace wood with gravel in the roadways, and most importantly, build a modern sewer system. These changes were neither fast nor cheap, and many Memphians were very anxious over the thought of smaller towns being near Memphis that could not afford a proper level of sanitation control. After much political wrangling between the city and state legislature, an annexation measure was passed, making these communities part of the city of Memphis. The annexation put to rest the concerns over public health felt by those who had gone through the horror of the yellow fever epidemic 10 years earlier and doubled the size of the city. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. For a Roth IRA, earnings withdrawn prior to reaching age 59 and a half and or not meeting the five-year holding period may be subject to a 10% penalty in addition to income tax. After-tax contribution amounts are generally returned income tax-free. However, for Roth conversions, if converted amounts are not held for the five-year period, distributions may be subject to a 10% penalty. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back to Talk Money. I tell you, it's been one of those moving moments today of getting out of the break. I got it all tongue-tied. Greg gives me, beats me over the head, you know, but it's part of the program. This is called live radio, and that's exactly what we're doing. Hey, I'm talking with Terry Hurt, and she's giving us some insight into the personal pension plan that we all know about, the traditional IRA, and then she's also guiding us through some of the thought processes that we should be looking at when we talk about a Roth IRA. So, Terry, here's the question for you. What are some of the factors that we should consider if we're going to make a decision? Should I have a deductible IRA, a Roth IRA, or both? What's more appropriate? Well, certainly if you can take advantage of both, you ought to do it. If you can afford it and you qualify for it, you ought to do both. If it's within a 401k plan and you really need to assess whether you want to contribute to the Roth 401k versus traditional, that will really depend on your tax bracket currently. So, again, help me understand, if I'm going to choose a deductible IRA, how do I go through that process? Uh, To choose a deductible IRA, you would set one up at a a bank, a a firm like Shoemaker, et cetera. Uh, Set that up, and then on your tax return, you'd get to deduct the amount that you contribute. If you're under age 50, you can contribute $5,500. If you're over age 50, the amount is $6,500. So, again, now I'm looking at this. I'm going through this process of choosing. If I want to postpone withdrawals, does that make a difference on how I choose? Does that make a difference on what I'm making the decision on? Uh, yeah. If you don't think you're going to need the money in retirement at age 70 and a half, it may make more sense for you to stick it in a Roth IRA because that can continue to grow over time, and that could be a way to leave money to your beneficiaries. 
All right. Well, then I guess we go through this process, and I need to make sure that we're stealing, you know, everybody's understanding that if you opt for the Roth, it, which has no mandatory withdrawal requirements, that may be better for you if you're not wanting to take the money at 70 and a half. That's critical for people to understand. That's what I need to make sure that everybody's getting as we're talking about this. And again, if you're going to contribute, you want to do the maximum allowable amount that you can do in a Roth IRA. And that means it's after-tax dollars. And so in 2018, your total contribution that you can do with a Roth cannot be more than $5,500, $6,500 if you're 50 or older. And, of course, that's, a you know, looking at it, your taxable compensation for that year, if it's that's a maximum of 65, you can do that amount too. It's your compensation. That's how you work through that process. So let me ask you this, uh, Terry. When we go through this the control that you have over an IRA or a Roth, is it flexible enough for a person to make that decision? Absolutely. So if you maintain an individual IRA account or an individual uh, Roth IRA account, you have uh, complete control over the nature of the investments. You have complete control as to how much you contribute each and every year. Uh, As opposed to the 401k plan where you might have some limited options on investments, and you really don't have as much flexibility. When a person talks about IRAs, I have a tendency to, th- people they seem to say, I have an IRA, and they don't realize that that can be anywhere. You mentioned a bank or an investment company or whatever. It can be in multiple locations. The IRA is just the can that you put the money in. Right. It's not It's not the whatever, and people forget that sometimes. People forget that, and a lot of times I meet with clients, and they've got IRAs scattered all over. Uh, and one of the things that's important is to really you know, focus on the strategy of investments within your IRA and maybe to perhaps consider a consolidation. So explain that to me when you say a consolidation. Can I actually consolidate if I've got, if I work for some company for 20 years, built up a 401k, is what when you talk about a rollover IRA, help me with that. What does that mean? Well, you know, nowadays many people don't stick with the same firms for years the way they did historically. And so if you leave a company that had a 401k plan and you decided to roll it over into an IRA account that may be with one firm and then you have another job, you've now left that job, you have a 401k account, you've rolled it over into a different firm, you might have multiple IRA accounts sitting in different companies. And that could be expensive. That can be expensive, and it, it may be off the track on your strategy for achieving your goal in retirement if the investment options aren't aligned with your preferences. All right, explain that to me. That's a great statement. When you say the investment options are not aligned with your strategy, what, does, what do you mean by that? Well, every person has a different perspective on how they would like to invest their money, and that's really tied to how much risk they're willing to assume. And sometimes when you roll your money over and you're in your 30s, your risk tolerance may be very different than your risk tolerance may be in your 50s or as you approach retirement. Well, often clients come in and they've never really reevaluated the investments that those rollovers are sitting in. And so they may be sitting in a position where the investments are too aggressive for where they are currently or not aggressive enough for where they need to be in retirement. All right, so we need to think through this process. As as you're thinking through making decisions, whether it's a Roth, 
Again, not tax deductible today, but it's tax deferred. That money comes out to you when you retire or when you need it. It can come to you on a tax-sheltered basis or tax-free basis. A tax-deductible IRA, the traditional IRA, you get a tax deduction now. That's important for you, especially if you're in a higher tax bracket. But when you receive the money, it is taxable to you. You have some penalties if you need the money earlier if it's a traditional. What are those penalties? Well, if you're under age 59 and a half, uh, any withdrawals that you make on that IRA or 401k will be subject to a 10% penalty. And that's a pretty stiff penalty. Plus, you pay any ordinary income taxes when you pull it out. Correct. That's a stiff penalty if you have this emergency. You know, now with a 401k, you can have a hardship withdrawal that you can avoid something, and you can get a loan, so you can do all those things. But with a traditional IRA, which is what we're really focusing on, you're going to pay a 10% penalty and the The ordinary income taxes. If you just tuned in, my guest is Terry Hurt. We're talking about your personal pension, the ins and outs of your individual retirement account, whether it's an IRA that's traditional or an IRA that's a Roth IRA. When we come back, we're going to find out some really some common questions concerning how do you use it? Should you look at the conversion of a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA? Boy, that is a question we get a lot. Now, listen to what I said. Converting a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. Well, that's what we're going to find out. Terry's going to guide us through that. So many people ask that question. When we come back, that's the answer we're going to get from Terry. You're listening to, of course, to KWAM 990 and FM 107.9, The Voice. KWAM 990, the radio that is all about talk radio in memphis and the mid-south i'm jim shoemaker this is talk money podcasts for talk money are available for ios mobile devices in the itunes store just search shoemaker financial we'll be right back with talk money after this this information is a general discussion of the relevant federal tax laws it is not intended for nor can it be used by any taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding federal tax penalties this information is provided to support the promotion or marketing of ideas that may benefit a taxpayer Taxpayers should seek the advice of their own tax and legal advisors regarding any tax and legal issues applicable to their specific circumstances. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. My guest, Terry Hurt. We're talking about IRAs, both traditional IRAs and your Roth IRA. And so many people think, of, well, I got an IRA and that's all I got. And they don't. And Terry actually mentioned this earlier about what are the investments inside that? It's not a can that you put dollars in. I mean, it is a can that you put dollars in. It's not just the investments or whatever. It's something that you're planning. It's a strategy. It's a part of your overall retirement strategy. Now, do you have a traditional plan that you started deducting early? Terry mentioned early on if you're young maybe you should do a Roth and that way you can uh, you know pay the taxes now when you're in a low tax bracket and then as it grows it's growing tax deferred tax free and when you pull it out at 60 65 70 whatever the entire amount of money does not have to be paid taxes on so here's the question that we get and Terry this is a question that I think is so important for so many people the reality being what guidelines do you tell your people that you walk through when it says, you know, to govern the conversion of a traditional, they got that traditional, let's say they got $100,000 in a traditional IRA or 50000 or whatever the amount is, they, you know, tax deducted it through the years, it's growing tax deferred, but they want to convert it to that Roth IRA because they don't want to pay taxes when they receive it. They're going to have to pay taxes now though, right? 
Correct. All right. So how do you give them, how do you counsel them? This is Terry Hurt, certified financial planner. She knows the answers. All right, Terry. Well, you know, first of all, most people aren't even aware that they can convert their IRA to a Roth IRA. So, uh, you know, what I say to them is, you know, why do you want to do the conversion? What's, what's spurred your interest in this? And tell me a little bit more about the facts surrounding that circumstance. So recently I had a client come in who uh, sold a business. He had losses. And he was going to roll over his money uh, to me to manage. And I, I said to him, have you considered a Roth IRA? And he said, no, I, I don't qualify for that. You know, I made too much money. And I said, well, your tax bracket basically went from the highest tax bracket to basically nothing with these losses. Would you consider converting your IRA to a Roth? By doing so, I mean, we saved him a substantial amount of money. And because he took the losses against the tax that was going to be due on that. So depending on your circumstances, and life changes. So life is not a straight line. Uh, there could be some planning opportunities around certain circumstances that happened. And he did not plan to go back to work for two years. So his tax bracket was going to remain low. Um, he did plan to ramp up his career, take another executive position somewhere, which he's done since then. And so his, da- his tax bracket ramped right back up, but he took advantage of converting that IRA to a Roth at a period in his life when his tax bracket was very low. So, so the point is now, of course, we're going to tell everybody that always run this by your tax consultant, run this by your tax attorney or CPA. But the reality is by being aware of the planning process with this particular client, you saw an opportunity to take advantage of these tax losses in order to do the conversion and saved him a ton. You're right. It saved him a ton of money because now when he pulls out this traditional Mm -hmm. that has been converted to a Roth, he pulls that money out tax-free. Tax-free when he's at a very high tax bracket. Right. That's a huge plan. And that's something, Terry, that I know that you have to sit down. You you ask, what are the opportunities? You are asking questions. And that is what in any investment strategy, especially in a retirement strategy, any good qualified certified financial planner, anybody that's working with it, is going to do that, ask the questions. Correct. And that's important for us to know. What about an, an IRA rollover? I mean, here we are. You just mentioned that a few minutes ago, but I want to make sure we nail that down. What is an IRA rollover? An IRA rollover is, it could be one of two things. So you're, you have a 401k plan at a company. You no longer are employed by that company. And you have an option to roll it over into an IRA account. Uh, or second, you have an IRA account sitting somewhere else and you're not happy with the way it's being managed or for some reason you want to move it because of a consolidation of all your IRA accounts and you can roll that over as well. So you're collecting if you put much, many of them, and we see a lot of that, don't we? we you do. know, I got a little bit of an IRA, a little bit, and all of a sudden, it, and, it, and it's hard to manage. And you mentioned earlier, and I think so critical, sometimes it's about what did I do when I was 35? Now I'm 55. Doesn't mean that that's what I want to continue to do. And we forget. We forget. And we don't think about it. So now let's summarize. If we could put this together, you've just given us a great example. Traditional, traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, they play important parts. Summarize for me. So they do play a very important part in uh, planning for your financial security in the future. 
because you really do need to understand the tax implications of both scenarios and where you are from a tax bracket perspective uh, to be able to plan effectively around taking advantage of either one or both so that you have the most optimum plan working for you in the future without a huge tax drag. So just keeping in mind it's plan with taxes to seek out your, you know, your tax consultant, do all that work like that. But sit down with someone who knows the strategy that you're trying to work to to get to that point and, and just, just ask the question. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, if you just tuned in, of course, a uh, great guest, Terry Hertz, done a wonderful job talking about your personal pension, the ins and outs of traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, the individual retirement account, a foundation for a lot of people when it comes to planning for retirement. So thanks, Terry. Appreciate you being here with us. Thanks for having me. You know, backpacks and briefcases, it's Thursday. It's May the 17th. That's coming up. It's 6 o'clock. The speaker at the office is Jason Harrington. He will be talking about the financial advisor career. And if you've got a recent graduate that's getting out of college or just recently graduated, maybe in December, they want to know more about the career in financial planning. It's backpacks to briefcases. It's 6 o'clock. Just call the office at 757-5757. You'll find out a lot about what's going on with this career and why a financial advisor with Shoemaker Financial might fit for you. We thank you for listening. Of course, I appreciate Terry Hurt being with us and Kurt Janowski talking about Social Security. It's always a pleasure to have you, the participant, the listener, to be a part of today's program. You're listening, of course, to FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice, talk radio for Memphis and the Mid-South. Thanks for being a part. We appreciate it. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Terry Hurd are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Thank you.